Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and Game Master. This week, we're continuing our Hammer of the Earth adventure. With all of the world building completed, we're ready to dive into the story. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. So we're ready to start the game, um, or at least playing the game. And I think we open on a rolling and verdant landscape. Green is the purveying color. It is strong and bright against a shining sun, but green is streaked with a kaleidoscopic vision of color that swirls and projects a kind of undulation into the world. The entire environment, even if it is still, projects the idea of pulsing with life. The air itself is thick with pollen, not just pollen, but a bioluminescent pollen that creates an opalescent sheen for the very air itself. We can see the wind streaking through it, uh, projecting even more life into the image as you can see the moving and swirling patterns. There are animals here as well, animals that have grown intermingled with this plant life. I think For some of them, it is almost like umbilical cords have been attached and grown into them as they move around and don't just consume the vegetation to live. The creeping ruin uses them as appendages to prune itself and ensure that it grows ever stronger and ever wilder. There is something very alien, but also idyllic about this scene. And then... Everything freezes, as in the distance we can hear a scream. A terrifying scream that appears to be growing louder and closer. Eventually, things start to move in a flurry of self-protected terror. Vines themselves are starting to creep back as animal appendages are trying to untangle themselves from where they have been put in the vegetation to move away from something. The earth and vines beneath it begin to rumble with a terrible shake as the scream grows closer and louder and joins with a thunderous rumble that fills the air and shakes all of the color around. We can see slowly on the ground there is something dark. Dark to the point where it appears to steal the light and pull it into itself, getting revealed underneath the bright and verdant green. Two massive... Well, I can't, it can't just be two. It is like several arranged gunmetal rails that stretch around a half mile along an ancient track that despite being old and very clearly covered in rust and ruin, having been attacked and pulled at by vines that strangle and bend steel and crack rock, 
still endures, still holds together under the rumbling vibration of the approaching hammer that starts to thunder now rhythmically. Boom, 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 shaking the earth and pulling aside vegetation. We, we can now see certain appendages getting rattled to the point that they shake apart as uh, sap and blood and sinew mix together and spill on the ground, simply shaken to death with the approaching thunder of the train. And soon it is here, running over the vegetation that was too thick or slow to move out of the way, getting chewed up and processed into the internal components that allow this eternal machine to continue to move and we slowly creep inside, following this vegetation as it is processed by gears and grinders and teeth and fans pushed into a slurry that gets pulled throughout the pipes of the train and eventually ground up and stamped into delightful little protein biscuits that like radiate a bit of heat and steam from them. They are sealed into meal packages, which are set on conveyor belts and blasted throughout the train in running in different directions, following series of tubes and channels being dropped into slats on the wall of a meeting room where we can see a cold steel table with with drab metal walls covered in propaganda posters from each of the factions, where we now see the party of Outriders who are about to take on an essential task beginning to gather. You have the opportunity to grab your rationed biscuits from the slats on the wall as you begin to gather and sit down to meet, deciding how you will be claiming fuel for the hammer. I just want physical description of each of these characters as they enter this room and maybe, you know, give us an indication of how they are feeling knowing that they are about to be sent out. We'll follow the same uh, pattern that we have before. Uh, let's start with Sasha. Sasha. Blaze is kind of like, an I want to say around five, six slightly stocky person of indeterminate gender. Um, it's hard to tell under all of the soot and the dungarees. Or as Americans call them, overalls. I don't know if you have dungarees <laughs> over there. We do, but I believe for us, it is mostly a brand name, actually, which is wild. Ah, okay. Well, they are non-dungaree brand dungarees <laughs> because dungaree brand has fell by the way of the ruin. So underneath all... <laughs> Dungarees were the old world. <laughs> they were weak. <laughs> the, the dungarees and the soot generally has a they-them gender presentation. And I, I like to think one of those little like baker boy caps that you used to see Victorian engine stokers wearing. They are, of course, no longer at all necessary, but they've become kind of like a symbol. Almost like a, a religious or cultural symbol, you know, of, of the stokers in general and big, big heavy boots. And then there's just like a clean line where the goggles have been. Ooh, yeah, I love it. I want to know, Blaze, like how are they looking? Are, are, are they intense? Are they relaxed? 
Are they fearful? Well, they look quite intense all the time because the fact that, that everything else is just very grubby and then their eyes are the only thing that like pop out at you makes them look very, very intense. Although they're actually generally pretty laid back. They're pretty excited to be going out. This isn't their first Outrider trip and they have a high chaos to low self-preservation balance. I love so, that. Uh, they're pretty excited. Yeah, I guess you are you are headed out into the world where fire is wild and doesn't have to live in cages, which is always exciting. Let's uh, check in with Titanium. Titanium is masculine presenting, uh, very pale, but it's uh, the pale of somebody who has not seen the outside on purpose for a very, very, very long time. He really doesn't like being outside and, and thus has got this kind of sickly complexion, but is built massively. Huge bulging muscles, sort of dark ringed eyes from nights spent hammering away. He's wearing a sort of rough jumpsuit, but with hammered steel kind of attached to it. Um, so it's effectively an armoured jumpsuit with a bandolier of tools strung across the chest plate and a massive uh, two-handed sledgehammer sort of leaning on the chair beside him. Um, yes. He has a five o'clock shadow, uh, very nice cheekbones, and a <laughs> uh, bright white quiff. Ooh, this is very, very good. Do you take a seat? Do you stand? How does your excitement kind of manifest? So he's, he's sat in a chair that's slightly too small for him and is sort of vibrating slightly with excitement, like very keen to get going, uh, is full of trepidation, and it's, it's a mix of excitement and also fear mm, yeah because he he wants to go but doesn't know what he's going to find out there that's good what about dead oh biscuits nice dead piston is going to grab some biscuits and start just like just digging into them like they eat very much like a gerbil they are maybe five foot one absolutely scrawny with that sort of shaved head that's kind of reminiscent of you know in alien 3 that sort of like shaved head that all the the like space monks have mm -hmm. uh, it's that sort of uh, look same basic jumpsuit as titanium but no armor no bandolier and they are kind of they swim in it a bit they are not looking forward to this but at the same time it still hasn't quite sunk in what's going on so they're just like they're eating they're, they're eating their biscuits you know and once they've eaten a few biscuits they'll probably be asking when they're getting the ration packs did they bite the nut <laughs> <laughs> like in life dead piston yeah. has very much bit the nut <laughs> arjun what about you arjun is tall around six foot with short curly hair dark skin and he's dressed like military camo, like khaki, like khaki breeches, vest and such. But over this, uh, he wears a shortened lab coat uh, because that is effectively his ruiner badge as a leaf stiller. It's a little bit grubby and frayed at the edges, but it's like you take a lab coat and shorten it by about half so it falls at about the waist. Uh, yeah, who has time for all of that <laughs> and, and material yeah. for all that excess fabric? Because a lot of it has probably been turned into, has been used for other things. So he's got bandoliers with various vials and such that are strung across it. So like where, where Titanium has tools in his bandoliers, 
there are unnamed vials and test tubes uh, uh, that that line is like only he knows exactly what's in it pouch uh, like leather pouches at his belt and also from one hip there is like a large machete but its blade is this oily green metal but and you don't know if that's the metal is oily green or if it has been stained with something but it is a little bit disconcerting to look at uh, yeah i have to imagine like the whole picture especially as we think about like this lab coat look that you have and i i kind of think the ruiners in general like the other two factions are very much they have a grubbiness that is rooted in like yeah. grease and smoke and and you know moving things but i have to imagine the ruiners have these white coats so they're actually projecting like the brightest thing in this space at least part of them do the part of them the part of the ruiners which is related to the science and the an- analysis uh, they're the ones who pride themselves on they have to stand they have to look different they have to stand they have to have different standards because we can't have dirt and grease and grime infecting um infecting our results and such so there is a part there is a part of the runes which which stands apart uh, because they have to be like this uh, um and arjun has this analytical look uh, that whenever he's not like this isn't his first outrider mission but he he slightly unnerves people because when he's not outside he always has like a notebook in his hand uh, and he's always looks like he's appraising uh, uh, and jotting down random notes uh, and it's slightly off-putting to a lot of people who aren't ruiners uh. oh that's great so you are all hey should i have a bandolier uh were they given out <laughs> bandoliers earlier did i did i did i miss something i i'm feeling a little underdressed here i've just brought my own <laughs> you will have the tools that you need surely uh, and he, yeah sure i guess i mean i got these biscuits you've you've at least got one hammer right uh yeah somewhere oh thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to imagine it is a big cultural faux pas for a hammer to be around without a hammer and really a basic set of tools. But like on your worst day, you at least have a hammer. <laughs> you always know where your hammer is. Well, Dead Piston of, often doesn't. I think I think he, he's constantly like people are constantly like uh, Dead Piston, and he turns around and they're just holding his hammer. And he's like, oh yeah, no. <laughs> God, yeah, that's got to be like getting caught with your pants around your ankles for like <laughs> most hammers. So in this game, we are we are now in the planning phase where our brave outriders are going to decide which challenges they're taking on. And for that, I roll a d10 three times to determine opportunities that they have. The first opportunity we have is the wreck of another train city, which I absolutely love. We've got the belly of a gargantuan beast. And finally, a settlement suspended in an enormous tree. And what these represent are opportunities for the hammer to claim additional fuel to keep itself moving. I think on the wall in this like kind of meeting room in front of you, there is a massive clock that has like naked gears. 
that kind of displays through complex calculations of input from around the train determines how many days of fuel are left for the hammer before it will begin to slow. And when it slows, that is almost certainly when it will be overgrown. So you've got that sitting in front of you. And I I think dossiers that are folded up in these like raw steel folders that have this kind of mealy and thick paper that has clearly been processed and reprocessed over and over again as it has been recycled throughout the hundreds of years the hammer has been running. So did the navigator say what sort of giant beast? If if I'm honest I'd really rather not climb into the belly of any sort of gigantic beast regardless of limbs or number of heads or acid blood just any of it i'd, I'd really i mean the, the the other train city sounds interesting we might be able to uh salvage some extra things from it getting that close to a to an extension of the ruin is probably not advisable uh, uh, i would advocate against the beast in that respect however the settlement in the tree on the other side to suggest that maybe some folks, uh, there are folks out there who have managed to survive for longer in contact with the plant life. People don't live out there. Do we want to meet them? A settlement has been identified. Uh, Whether or not there is anybody there, it bears investigating, I feel. It could have untold significance for our continued survival. Uh, well, depending on how they've survived, I mean, not interacting with them could be the most significant thing for our continued survival. You have a point. I think in the center of the table, there is a sort of make-work map that is constructed from small pistons that move up and down in the table. And there nice. is like a <laughs> single row uh there's a row of like these hexagonal dark steel pistons that represent the progress of the train as like boom boom it like slowly inches forward and then you can see there are like this sea of like i think dark kind of army green pistons that represent like the wild and they are rotated out with these like brassy pistons that represent the opportunities that you have so you can see where and how far apart from each other these opportunities lie look i'm gonna say i'm i'd rather go to the train city right but if if it's a choice between the settlement and the belly of the beast i i settlement I mean, I'm just going to say that the beast's already dead. We don't know what's in the... I mean, they say a dead train. What they mean is a stopped train. And who knows when it stopped? Who knows how many people are still there? I mean, and I'll be honest, if I'm going to be wading through corpse, I'd rather it be, you know, not human corpse. Well, depending on how long ago this train stopped, there could not really be corpses. There could be more skeletons, if anything. With, without further knowledge of that, indeed. Um, my vote, obviously, is for the tree settlement, uh, which gives one each from us. And, Blaze, it appears that you may have the casting vote here. Oh, well, that's a lot of power. I think the young lad Titanium's quite excited about the train and... 
I think that's probably where we should go. You know, it's his first trip out. Give him a bit of a treat. Yes, lovely. Trade City. Yeah, so we, we can see kind of on this piston map, that this rough hexagonal piston map in front of you, as you mention the potential of going to the train city, you can see green pegs getting like uh, swiftly replaced with like rust-colored pegs that represent dead tracks. The hammer is not a unique object. There were many trains like it constructed to rage against this creeping uh, living corruption that corrodes everything around it. And some cities have not been as lucky, although people in the hammer prefer to think of as clever or as diligent as they are tracks have been overrun trains have been derailed and for the longest time there were things that you would talk about uh, with pity but now you speak about them with hunger eyes sparkling with imaginations I think the complex route of the hammer takes you to different places in the world this is a wreck that was identified 150 years ago and recorded because at some point it might represent an opportunity. Usually you'd keep track of the other trains just to allow people to exchange citizenry so that gene pools did not become too, we'll call it samey, but also (laughs) now that you have these wrecked trains, they represent essential parts. The hammer has been running so long that parts that were meant to last as long as anyone could imagine the train could possibly run have worn out and had to be reforged and reused time and time again. This is not the first carcass that your train has to cannibalize. And you examine the old tracks. They are not tracks that the hammer will be able to turn down They are tracks that the hammer will be able to get into a holding pattern and circle while the outriders go and search through this carcass. They are tracks you can follow to the site that holds this carcass. It is up to you to sort of find them and navigate them. But you can see there are a few entry points and options for you as you look over it. Is there anything else that folks want to consider before we find out how you get off the train? What's the detail of, of the map? Is it is it really just um, wilderness track kind of the and the active rail? Or is there any idea of um, topography or landmarks on our way? Like what, what could get in the way? I would love everybody to tell us like one landmark. It doesn't necessarily need to be an obstacle, uh, but they are identified features that were important enough at least for the folks who were here 150 years ago to make note um and i think culture on the train like kind of needs to be steady in a way as you are following a track but it kind of feels like culturally you'd be obsessed with movement and change and i think the people of 150 years ago are kind of, they, they think in a way that is almost alien to you now. So maybe what they thought is important isn't really as important to you today. 
I think that nearby there is what may have once been a skyscraper or a tower or something along those lines where even though all of its substance is gone, the ruin has grown up into this sort of enormous spike that's kind of serves as this yeah this jutting spike of green into the sky yeah i i think the green tends to grow uh, to grow in like rolling thickets but what makes the ruin spire unique is it is one of the only things that the ruin has actually grown up to a tall point i think there's probably an association between the idea of towers and skyscrapers as a very civilized thing, as a thing that the world used to have and used to be built by hands and machines. And this is kind of like the ruins mockery of that. It is this tower that, you know, exists for reasons unknown. And I think for many people it was probably a point of scientific curiosity or like cultural distaste but for someone like Arjun like that might be something that is worth its own bit of study i'm going to add a feature on a similar vein that the ancients spotted a a large hill or mound that was entirely mossy uh, um mosses in kind of like various bright shades of green and yellow except for one point uh, there was a kind of like triangular opening, a darkness uh, on a hole in the side of this hill or mound, and just some kind of reflective surface uh, that light seemed to bounce off. Ooh, God. Basically think an overgrown observatory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. I'm, I'm trying to think like... It might be like marked down as like uh, the oil slick mound or, or something like that, because I, I have to imagine like if you've been only on a train for hundreds of mm. years, your reference point for something that is shining in darkness, like that has to get yeah. very narrowed. I'm going to say that there is a river that's kind of like pushing through vines on either side where the banks would have once been. And um over the river there is this like snaking thick branching growth that kind of peaks and then goes down like there where there would have been a bridge which could potentially let you cross but is still undulating yes yeah sometimes Mm. does this Mm-hmm. Love an undulating bridge. Yeah. Sorry, it's a it's an auditory uh, medium. You can't mm-hmm. tell. I'm thinking like what? Um, oh, what's the word for those separating bridges that go up to let ships through? Suspension bridge. Suspension. No, uh, su- like the ones that separate. Yeah. And they lift up like tower bridge. Mm-hmm. Only it's like grown into the vines that sometimes they'll just separate each other from each other. This is a word that I constantly back. forget because it's not a drawbridge, but it does a similar mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. yeah, they are all over Chicago, and God darn it, if I can't remember the name, <laughs> <laughs> oh, undulating has to be one of the creepiest words in this context. I love the word undulating. <laughs> so good. Who doesn't good love a good word. undulation? <laughs> I'm gonna say that the final thing is that this train city, uh, where its pin is, is also a tunnel, 
And whether it's inside the tunnel or by the tunnel, we don't know. Yeah. But it's near this huge tunnel, nice. and who knows what's inside. That has to be, like, a real frustration for, for y'all, because I think the things that grow under the light of the sun, like... That verdant green, like, sure, there are creeping vines and whatnot, like, that's okay. But the things that grow in darkness, there's not a lot known about them. Y'all can just, like, look out the windows and, like, take in, like, the refuse that the train runs over to study the, the thing that is under the verdant green. But there are only a few tunnels. And, like... If a tunnel is overgrown in the wrong way, that has slain more cities than almost anything else. So right now, the hammer takes like very complicated paths to go out of its way to avoid tunnels because you simply don't know what dangers they represent. And the maddening thing is 150 years ago, they didn't take care to mention whether the ruin was inside the tunnel or just in front of or near the tunnel. None of the ruiner records have been able to replicate uh, the conditions of uh, darkness, uh, darkness growth, uh, or at least none of the records that Arjun has access to gosh yeah i i don't know how detailed the pins are but there is like i think kind of a movable type like label system at the bottom of the map that provides like the legend of what these different landmarks mean so you you have a a rough idea and whatever records were preserved I think the train used to have probably even more detailed notes about the outside world, but like there reached a point where decisions had to be made about what information was essential and what information could be condensed so that you could recycle like the paper and different products that you had to make to keep those records in the first place so you've got like whatever spare dossiers uh, in those gunmetal folders and with this decision made i think we are ready to get you off the train It's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. First things up, a bunch of shows on the OneShot Network have been nominated for Audioverse Awards. Campaign Skyjacks, Skyjacks Courier's Call, A Horror Borealis, and The Broadswords have all reached the final rounds of nominations, and voting is open now. We got nominated for player direction, for player performance, for editing, and original music. I am so proud of everyone involved, and I really want to see them get recognized for their work. So if you have a couple of moments, please head over to audioverseawards.net. There you'll be able to vote for your favorite one-shot shows and performers, along with a couple of our friends. Voting takes a couple of minutes because they do make you go through every category, but it would really mean a lot to me and everyone who works on our shows if you took the time. 
Make sure in each category where we're nominated, you select one-shot shows first. The closer you rate our shows to one, the more your vote is weighted towards helping our shows win. And folks, the competition this year is steep. It's mostly steep against people who are my good friends and I would love to see succeed anyway, but it's still steep and I would like to place if we can. So once again, head to audioverseawards.net and vote for Campaign Skyjacks, Skyjacks Courier's Call, A Horror Borealis, and The Broadswords to win this year's awards. If you're still in a democratic mood, you can help us out with one of our other projects. This year, One Shot is trying to make Georgia twice as nice. If you were following the elections obsessively like me, you know that two Senate seats in Georgia have gone to a runoff election. If Democratic candidates are able to win both those elections, the Democrats will have control of the House, Senate, and presidency, which will enable them to actually do things. If you watched politics after 2010, you know there's a tendency for Republicans with control of the Senate to stop anything from happening, including things they absolutely shouldn't have stopped, like the nomination of Merrick Garland for a seat in the Supreme Court. Frankly, those two Senate seats in Georgia are extremely important. And whether you have money or time to donate to help that effort, I implore you to do it. You can join OneShot in our efforts by heading to actblue.com slash donate slash GA69. We're currently trying to raise $6,969 to get those two Senate seats and make Georgia twice as nice. A good portion of the money that we're raising for this drive is going to Fair Fight Action, a charity in Georgia that works to fight against voter suppression. And that's pretty much the plan for getting those Senate seats, is make sure all of the people who are allowed to vote actually get a chance to vote. Anyway, once again, that is actblue.com donate slash GA69. If you're enjoying this particular program and this particular game, I have good news. Hammer of the Earth is part of the Ultimate Micro RPG Book, an anthology of 40 micro RPGs that I edited. It's coming out this December after being delayed a little bit due to COVID affecting printing and shipping. But I am so excited for people to have it because the games in it are so good. And I don't need to tell you that because you're listening to Hammer of the Earth right now and thinking, holy crap, this game sounds really cool. If you'd like to pick up a copy of the Ultimate Micro RPG book for yourself or a loved one, head to bit.ly slash ultimate micro RPG. There, you'll be able to find that the Ultimate Micro RPG book is available wherever books are sold, including all major online retailers, all independent online retailers, big box bookstores, and your local independent brick and mortar. No matter how you order the book, it helps me the same. So please, if you found this game at all interesting, go out and pre-order yourself a copy today. Before we get back to the show, I've got a quick name correction. A huge thank you to Timo Bakker. If you'd like to hear your name thanked on air, I recommend signing up soon. I have been pretty distracted while writing, but we are going to be generating a new list of backer thank yous, and I would love to read your name on that list. So please head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up to support us. It helps us do all sorts of wonderful things like produce this very episode, paying all the performers involved, and our editor, Tracy Barnett, for making uh, what I think is a pretty cool sounding show. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. One of the 
things that I have kind of wondered about like this game generally speaking is how outriders safely get off the train um and on the train so what 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 clever system have have people worked out or frankly not very clever system that they have to deal with yeah because i feel there's two options either like (laughs) either it's similar to lowering a lifeboat off a off a moving ship Mm -hmm. so like you'd be lowered down on like a platform and maybe like maybe like your cycle sort of starts revving to like match the velocity of the train and then comes off or there's just ramps and you just go yeah we we basically just you 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 like you open part of uh part of a carriage uh, and basically a ramp deploys and you've got this sled uh, which might have in older in in previous times been a capsule that would safely deliver the outriders to a stop but more and more of the sleds have had to be mm-hmm. cannibalized so <laughs> they are now literally just sledges uh, that you hope uh, will decelerate you enough to actually get you to the thing without losing an outrider Ooh, we can add an extra wrinkle to this too this gets deployed but this is also a thing that needs to be reused so there's maybe like you know a a winch mechanism or something that pulls it back yeah it's got like a couple hundred meters worth of cable so once you get to a safe stop, or maybe even before you get to a safe stop, <laughs> you have to jump off because it will be jerked and pulled in the other direction to get cranked back onto the train. Because there's only so much time that the train can spend decelerated in order to match your to to allow you to get off safely. Yeah, I think we are squarely in the resonance of the hammer of the earth moving along the tracks is what allows the what makes the ruin recede. So like slowing down is bad. Yeah, I like the I really like the idea that there's a dangerous like lowering however you get to on this like rolling car and then regardless of how quickly it's going, you have maybe two minutes, precisely two minutes before you have to jump off. <laughs> I like that. Oh, that's good. That's good. And, you know, it's good because it's bad. <laughs> we also have uh, the marking responsibility at the end of the planning phase. Yeah, yeah. So in the planning phase, like, one of you, I think, leaves with the responsibility. And the impression that I kind of got is it might be starting with blaze because blaze got to make the ultimate decision of where people were going to go and that's like the perfect kind of toxic system to really create a lot of internal strife (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah i think that's fair also i just uh mention um for people sort of the, the context of responsibility is it is something with absolutely no mechanical benefit it just means However the the game ends, whoever has the most responsibility is to blame, whether it's good or bad. So yeah. that's it. <laughs> what I love about this is it, it's an absolutely collaborative system, but it is a collaborative system that is kind of wrapped up in you are either jockeying for glory or trying to run away from the responsibility for disaster. It's just great across the board. We open on one of the grates being pulled aside 
to release one of these sleds that will drop you off in like this verdant field. And I think you can see kind of the impression of old rusted tracks. I think the vibrations caused by the hammer kind of like unearth some of those ancient tracks a bit. Not as cleanly as the, as the tracks that it's about to roll over, but certainly enough for you to be able to see your path forward as this sled deploys itself. I think we get kind of an overlay that is an impression of that clock that was on the wall in the meeting room that shows the train has like three days of fuel left. If we come in at the, the last minute in three days, everything will be fine. There is kind of a red line area where the train slows down in a critical way. And at that point, the tracks start to become unrecoverable. So you really, on this mission, have 16 flexible hours. And that is a time crunch that is left for you by the groups that came before you and didn't succeed on their various fuel reclamation missions. I don't think any of the opportunities that you had were ideal. These are all kind of like... If this doesn't succeed, there won't be another team of outriders. There won't be a hammer of the earth. The wind is rushing by, like you are on top of this sled that kind of deploys itself. And I think we get to a point where there is some sort of intervention that needs to take place in order for you not to all die just by being deployed. <laughs> I think because right now Blaze has responsibility, I, I think it will be something within the power systems of the sled itself. The sled, I think, needs to deploy like some, some graspers that actually help you slow down as the sled is deployed. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be moving at roughly the same rate as the hammer and you'll never have a safe opportunity to jump off. I was thinking like some reverse thrusters, mm. like essentially just big blow torches that push <laughs> away from the direction it's going in. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very, very good. Yeah, I, I think only half of the thrusters fire initially. Like, uh, so not only are you kind of drifting in a wrong direction, but you're slowing down at, at a weakened rate. And if there is just fuel building up behind those other thrusters, it's probably going to explode. Okay. Like, uh, Arjun is, is holding on dearly and just looking at... Are we going towards or away from the train in terms of direction? Gosh, I can't decide what's worse because, like, away from the train is definitely going to put you off track and towards the train, you might damage the train. Um, so I'm going to say towards is even, away is odd, and you are moving away from the train. We are moving away. Okay. I think we've got a little bit more time in that case before we get squished. So I am going to grab the blowtorch that I assume I always carry with mm -hmm. me, being a stoker, and uh, just try and angle it in the right direction to just go and try and put us a little bit close to, if not the right course, at least slow enough. Oh, I like, so you're, you're using the torch to ignite <laughs> the, the thrusters? Yeah, that's, 
or alternatively as a, as a second thruster. <laughs> oh, have you engineered it enough to be that powerful? You probably have. Uh... Oh, I like that. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it's a pretty hefty blowtorch. You know what? What I kind of think it is like all of these tools kind of have to be very versatile and compact. And you sort of have dials that you can adjust that is like, this is the mm. density of the burn liquid mm-hmm. that, that I'm that I'm doing. So you've got these like weird vegetation based fuels that like you dial <laughs> it in a certain way. And as long as it's slotted correctly, you can get a huge blaze on this burn. A handheld blowtorch that can actually do thrust. Yes. <laughs> Which, gosh, that is going to be a useful device as we move forward in this adventure. And a dangerous one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mind you, if we're running out of fuel, you got to wonder how often I can use it. <laughs> I, well, I, I, like, I have to imagine the way fuel works, like fuel for the train, is probably you can't just... Most of the fuel that you're using for torches and things is like vegetation and train fuel is really really specialized which is why you basically you are either cannibalizing it from a dead car or taking it from a settlement that you found or maybe it was something that was eaten by a a massive beast but like yeah i think this is a separate fuel source um but we, we come to our first roll of the game, and uh, just tell us which trait you are using. So I'm going to be using the trait Potentia, which is to do with, um, you know, fires and electricity, etc., etc., uh, and this is such. So because I haven't rolled this yet, I'm just rolling one dice and hoping for anything other than a one. Yes. Because uh, you... Oh, great! Ah! Oh. <laughs> Fantastic start. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right, everyone. The game works. But it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you do have an options token. Uh, I do have an options token. I'm not going to use it. <laughs> We've got 16 hours to burn. Do we want to quickly go over like what options are as well? Now that like it's immediately oh, become yeah, yeah. relevant. <laughs> yeah. <potentially. laughs> so each player has uh, two options tokens, which are left um, deliberately obscure, so that you know when they become relevant, you can have. You can use an option, which is kind of part of the context of, of the roll. But basically, you can use option tokens to re-roll all of the ones um, in a roll. Uh, and once you've spent both of your options, you have a sort of a third and final option, which is spending your life in order to re-roll. So that's effectively the only way that that the Outriders can die is by the player choosing to to allow their, their character to die um, in an effort to help the mission. Yeah, the more you use a certain trait, the more dice you will have to roll with it, which is why Asasha very strategically is not going to use an option right now, because this is just one one. As you Mm -hmm. are rolling big fistfuls of dice, you might get three or four ones on a single roll, which is probably more inviting for an option. But, you know, it's a strategic trade-off of, well, this is a one that we have in front of us now, and perhaps uh, a later date they'll be looking back going 
oh, I dearly wish we hadn't wasted that hour because in order to wipe clean the marks from their traits, they'll need to take rests, which will also consume time. But for now, because we have elected not to use an option, that one is subtracted from their total excess time. This is essentially going to delay their voyage by a full hour. And now there are just 15 spare hours left, as I kind of think Blaze has miscalculated. There was a hunger for fire in your heart. And it is not that, you know, your your torch wasn't strong enough. It is that your torch was far too strong. And when it activated and started up, it sent the sled into a spin. Everybody like has to hold on tight to prevent themselves from being flung off the sled and it like hits the ground with force and bounces and skims as it is cycling almost out of control and you are brought well off course a full hour out of your way and far from the ancient tracks that you need to follow in order to find this wreckage whoops (laughs) so that that was exciting (laughs) An eventful start, certainly, yeah. So, uh, do we need to get this thing back to the train? Because if the... Uh, No, we need to move, because otherwise the winch is going to pull us back along with it. And you don't want that to happen. Uh, Also, does anybody know which way we're going? I got turned around. Sure, the... Oh. Uh, Right. If we just start going, we'll come across that track eventually. (laughs) Well, it was definitely this side of the train. It was. We did see where the uh, the piston map was showing. I'm sure we can recollect if we put our heads together. The skyscraper, um, a landmark. Yes. If we if we gauge where we are, put our heads together, we can probably work out where we should be going. Uh, Shouldn't we look just around, please, folk? Um, walk back. The way the uh, train yeah. and, was uh, going, like Arjun starts uh, directing people to try and get our bearings, uh, so that we can put ourselves back on track. Uh, yes, I say we just. I say we just go. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do, but we can do this in a more sensible and scientific manner. Just saying, longer we stay put, the closer them them ruins are gonna come. Surely, if the train were depositing us sort of like a little ways behind in its journey we could just backtrack from the train until we see something that's like oh yes i remember looking at that while i was being flung out of a window (laughs) these things sort of stick in your mind i don't really remember anything except gripping onto my bike for dear life um well hmm we can do a combination of these. Uh, if I, I think Blaze has uh, Blaze's idea has a certain degree of merit, we can backtrack slightly and keep our eyes open for any of the landmarks that we saw on the map, uh, and hopefully put this all together. Right. Okay. Yes. Let's do that. You okay, Tari? You uh, you you're looking a little bit well, pale. <laughs> well, um, I'm outside. And there are plants, and we're in the middle of yeah, those plants, sucks. and we don't know where we are or where we're going. So, yes, let's find 
where we're going and go there so that we are there and not here. Thrilling to be outside the first time, innit? <laughs> you feel really alive. That's, that's a word, yeah. I Yes. I'm very conscious of my mortality, yeah. Arjun taps one of the vials on his bandolier. These aren't the plants you have to worry about. Uh... And you, you notice kind of where you are nestled. All the growth is tall. All of the growth is above your head. So as you look around you, there are only knotted green dense clods of vines and dirt and colorful flowers surrounding you. And you can hear the hammer in the distance, the scream of the rails, that rattling metal, and the thunderous pumping that powers the wheels which roll down the track are a comfort. There is never a time that anyone on the hammer experiences a true quiet moment. Quiet is not something that exists on the train, but here, in the wilds of the ruin, quiet is something that begins to settle in, especially because the air is thick with pollen around you. That sound, that comforting sound of screaming metal and thundering machinery is fainter than it ever has been for any of you who have never left the train previously. That silence bears down on you, as you contemplate whether you want to look for the spire or study the track or just how long you'll be able to stay out here before the plants you have to worry about begin to creep in. I assume that we have sort of some sort of bike each to actually make the journey. I like that, for sure. Sorry, I'd have this image of like sort of very like rudimentary motorcycles with like these really sharp basically cow catchers uh <laughs> over the front for just like cutting through ruin and vines. oh i like yeah they are cow catchers but you know we'll we'll throw a little bit of 40k in there because we, we are you know on a call with the uk so they have to have saws on the front of them too like yeah chainsaw cow catchers well, at, one po- at a certain point, it's no longer catching the cow, is it? <laughs> it does catch it. It just catches the cow with teeth, and you won't have a cow afterwards. But that's not a requirement for a cow catcher, and never has been. <laughs> yeah, that cow is still caught as heck. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> and quite sturdy um, compartments on the uh, on the rear, so you can store the fuel safely uh, uh, for when we are coming back. I also uh, like the idea that. On these bikes, we are effectively straddling a boiler because oh, everything yeah. uses the tech of oh, the train. Absolutely. So we've got small <laughs> bombs between our legs at all times. This Just is, for funsies. This is good. And, you know, the having that small bomb between your legs is kind of an ideal thing because in order <laughs> for... <laughs> Do tell, James. In order for you to, to have those bikes and have access to them, you need to get them off the sled. The sled has spun off course and out of control. In order to keep those bikes on the sled, they had to be very firmly secured to it. So not only does part of your group need to roll to figure out where you're supposed to go, but the rest of you have to decouple those bikes from the sled before it gets ripped back onto the hammer. May I I roll for the removal of the bikes from the pods? Oh, please do. 
<laughs> I will roll for the uh, to try and find uh, to get our bearings and such. Uh, so um, um, I'm gonna step off the. I'm gonna just gonna step off <laughs> and look around a bit nervously. <laughs> well, so I guess I'll also be doing the bikes thing. Great. That's a, that's a point, James. You want um, multiple people to to roll on uh, each problem, or is it one person per problem? Um, I, I forget. Is there is there any kind of collaboration mechanic? I. I feel like i vaguely remember a way to share responsibility for certain outcomes but it's escaping me right now yeah it's escaping me as well let's quickly reroute i think that may have been in an earlier <laughs> yes, I think draft that was, that was over the word limit yeah. for time yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no yeah. helping it's too takes too much <laughs> one of the beautiful things about this design is it had extremely in all the designs in this book they had very extremely narrow constraints for how many words they were allowed so certain systems <laughs> had to be sacrificed very reflective of the relationship these people have to the train <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it comes down to just like because uh, also there's no real pacing mechanic in this game beyond how cruel you want to be because the more you roll for will make us roll the more likely you are just to fail forever so h- how much do you want us to fail <laughs> is the question um, <laughs> I, I think there is one of you who is taking responsibility for the role but you know when you say multiple people are helping like we're dealing with sort of a responsibility thing like one person is taking point even if other people are helping like i i think this is a circumstance where titanium is going to be marking off on the stat and will be if there is a failure for this owning that failure okay cool. so titanium's initial approach is in this mild state of panic that he's currently in there is no time for unclasping these bikes and he is getting in and just ripping them out of their holdings and sort of th- pushing them out of the pod as, as quickly as possible before the ratchet before the ratchet comes because that's all he's concerned about is we might all get like our bikes might get stolen back by the train so mm-hmm. let's uh let's just get them out as quick as possible how is blaze sort of getting involved i guess blaze will probably be encouraging you know like <laughs> you're doing a grand job lad very good <laughs> yes that's classic outrider stuff oh i love it you're like kind of a living propaganda cheerleader at this point like (laughs) you are shouting those slogans and like they're they're probably like very hammer specific slogans every problem's a nail (laughs) (laughs) great yeah so because my body is currently zero i'm rolling zero plus one dice mm-hmm. uh so i roll one d6 and i get a two which is not a one yay yay and mark one on body so next time i'll be rolling two <laughs> meanwhile arjun is consulting his notebook for some of the notes that he had made from studying the map and taking a look around wandering a little bit away from from the sled just to try and gauge distances and things and put his put his analytical mind to work here so i'm going to roll mind and that is not a one <laughs> excellent excellent and i mark a one yeah so yeah uh, i i want to know how, how does arjun make this determination is this all purely from memory and like you're kind of using the notebook to track that memory or are you like climbing or moving about to get better vantage point I'm moving around to get some better vantage points, clearing some of the the vegetation away with that like thickly green blade. But a lot of it is is coming from the memory and his notes because Arjun is a meticulous note taker, uh, and whilst his memory is pretty good, 
it's not infallible. And I like the idea Ar- Arjun is a scientist and, you know, an analytical thinker. You are not a hammer. You don't have the, you know, thick muscles that hammers stereotypically are supposed to have. Uh, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what you do have is your mind and time that you have spent, you know, uh, mixing chemicals and analyzing the world of the ruin and i think one thing that we learn about this green blade is it doesn't matter how swiftly or strongly you swing it as it touches certain branches like they start to hiss and boil away as like it's clearly coated with this yeah anyone looking knows that there is something virulent on that blade and why arjun wears gloves Yeah, like uh, with a few uh, slices, you are able to carve a path for yourself and orient yourself like based on where the train is now and the sort of angle that you would have been flung out running some quick calculations. You know roughly where you are to get back to the ancient track. And as long as you have all of the sleds you need, that won't be a problem. Thankfully, we we turn over to Titanium (laughs) and Blaze, who have decoupled enough sleds for each of you. No one has to double up. I think that was the worry. If you didn't decouple all of the sleds properly, they would get ripped away. And if you have two people on one sled, that means that limits the max speed you are able to go. This episode of One Shot uses music provided by Scott Buckley, provided under a Creative Commons International 4.0 license. Tracks used are Emergent, Signal to Noise, Helios, Catalyst, Beautiful Oblivion, Titan, The Black Waltz, Omega, Emergent, Pursuit, and Parasite. This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett. You can find more of their work anywhere online at The Other Tracy. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week, but don't worry, we'll be back next week with more Hammer of the Earth. In the meantime, be sure to check out one of the other amazing shows on the OneShot Network, like The Broadswords. The Broadswords is an all-women D&D podcast focused on drama, roleplay, and subverting stereotypes. Join the Broads as they unravel the mysteries of the snowy Rashomon, a land ruled by witches steeped in superstition. Berserkers reign, and spirits roam the frozen wastes. Yaleris, Kila, and Maypri all have their own reasons for journeying north, but soon they discover they have something in common. They are pawns in a divine plot. You can find the Broadswords on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. As always, we end one shot with a call to action, but the call to action also kind of came in the mid-roll this week. Please support One Shot and our drive to support Fair Fight Action and the Senate campaigns of John Ossoff and Raphael Warnick. Just go to actblue.com slash donate slash GA69. Thanks, heroes.